is probably about a mile and a half away, 100 foot flames coming off of, you know, 60, 70 foot tall ponderosa pines. And that, that'll definitely make you feel pretty small when you see something that big. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Harley, and this is the Ranch Collective Podcast, where we talk with Western industry professionals to share, educate, and give a platform to those inside the industry and to give those who are outside of it a look at the day-to-day by having real conversations with guests. If you are new here, welcome, and if you've been on this journey with me for a while, welcome back. I'm here today with another mini-sode of Tales from a Ranch Manager, and I'm back with Kenneth Kyle. A friend of mine, we're chatting about ranch managing experiences, and we are specifically talking about his kids getting to grow up on a ranch. We are talking about working for a dairy that was run by a Department of Corrections, so it's a prison dairy, and we are talking about managing a ranch through a wildfire catastrophe and what that experience was like for him. It was a lot of fun, so I think you guys are going to have fun listening. Kenneth is a delight, and he's definitely going to be back later when I start doing full episodes, so he, we will learn more about him later, but for today, I hope you enjoy. Something that I've actually been, like, dying to ask you about, so can you tell me about when you worked at the dairy? I worked at the dairy in South Carolina for the Department of Corrections, and I started off as... I think the title was farm foreman. So I was signing inmates out of the prison. They every, they stayed on the prison property, but they would leave the buildings in the yard. The, um, we'd take them out to the dairy. They were taught proper milking procedures as far as cleaning the um, cows up and getting the machines hooked up. That was my job is to instruct them of how to do that properly and also, at the same time, I had to make sure the correct herds got brought up in the right order. Um, we had different herds based off the cell count of their milk would go in different tanks. That was um, part of my job. So, like, as they're bringing one herd up, I've got to run back to the back, swap over the pipe so everything goes the right direction, open the right valves. Um and then once all that was done, make sure all the herds went back to where they're supposed to because they got fed different amounts based off the herd count or the, <clears throat> excuse me, the head count. Then I would make sure the inmates cleaned up the parlor and the correct procedure, um, haul them back to the prison and then normally come back and run the cleaning cycle on the milking machines. This is like kind of a weird question, but like what is the purpose of, having prisoners work at a dairy in South Carolina. Is that like a really big industry there? Um, dairy used to be a large industry, but it slowly, um, I would say, has become less like individual farmers and it's started to become larger operations. You know, you don't have the guy that's got 10, 15 head anymore. You've got guys that got, you know, a few hundred head. So the, the the kind of small backyard operation dairies have kind of gone away and you're not, now starting to see a lot of the larger operations. But for South Carolina, we actually um, processed the milk we um, harvested there at the prison. Was It was everything was regulated by DHEC and it actually got sent out to the rest of the prisons across the state. So we were 
raise, growing, I guess you would say growing and processing our own milk for private consumption would probably be the way to phrase it. Oh, I, I've literally never thought about where like prisons and jails get food and stuff from. So that's really interesting. Well, the interesting part is the South Carolina prison system also had an egg laying operation. So in another institution, they would, um, inmates would leave the yard, go out to the, um, I guess called laying houses. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not, I'm not big into chickens other than the wife's backyard block. They would run the eggs through a cleaning cycle and then those would get shipped out to the rest of the institution. So there were several different locations that did different things, but the location I was at was the largest. We had row crops. So I think there were around 2000 acres. We would grow soybeans. We would sell those on the open market to help generate some income. We would grow corn. We, and we had our own hammer mill. So they would grind up the corn we harvested for grits for cornmeal. So, I mean, the inmates pretty much had grits, eggs, and milk for breakfast that was 100% grown by fellow inmates. That's actually really cool. And it was, I, this number may be wrong, but it was around a dollar 30 something cents to feed an inmate per day in South Carolina while I worked there. But that's because, you know, everything was grown on the property. They also had a 200 acre vegetable garden. So in the summer, like they got a lot of fresh vegetables. We did not have any meat processing abilities. So we always had to buy that from distributors, but whatever we could, you know, feasibly and economically grow and consume within the own prison system was done. It was, it was a really fun place to work at. So. Do you have any like specific um, stories that you'd like to share about when you worked there? Oh, there's, there are so many. Um, I can't really think of anything like specific that would step out, but the, the actual inmates themselves while I was there, like the vast majority of them were fairly pleasant human beings to be around. Like, yeah. One guy was in there. He, rearrange someone's face with a shotgun but i didn't know that until i was talking to one of the supervisors one day and like i mean this guy every time he saw him it was yes sir no sir polite um you know he always made sure his prison uniform was clean and well kept his shirt was always tucked in and that's the thing like most of those guys weren't in there for you know horribly bad things but they were just wrong place wrong time or you know they fell in with the wrong group of people but the vast majority were decent human beings to be around like nobody was flat out rude and disrespectful and you know showing out all the time i feel like jobs like yours because you were not um you were just employed by the prison. You were not a prisoner there. I feel like jobs like yours um, really humanize like the inmates are, and are like a good reminder that though they're just people. Yeah, and that's, I had a conversation with a fellow employee one day 
and you know he was you know venting about all these guys like they're they're humans just like we are like you treat them with respect they'll show you respect and those guys are the prime examples like they don't have a whole lot like they're not gonna they're not driving a flashy car wearing the latest clothes like but you know at least they've got their respect and their dignity so just because they got caught doing something doesn't make them any less human than you are like they still breathe the same air so they deserve the same amount of respect you might not agree with what they say but you don't have to be rude in the process yeah and i feel like it'd be rough to be judged by the worst thing i ever did every day for the rest of my life yeah i told quite a few inmates like there's a lot of guards that have probably done something that could have landed them in jail just as easily as you have like they could have been you know driving drunk one night like they just didn't get caught but you know, you got caught doing something else. It's like, doesn't make them any better or worse than you. They just didn't get caught. So I was actually brought into y'all's lives when the fire happened in New Mexico. That is what brought your wife specifically um, into my orbit. And her and I have talked about it at length. She did like either two or three episodes on the show when it was going on, when that happened. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit more about like how you handled it from the perspective of like someone who was like working on the ranch and like your need to like protect what was going on there versus like getting your family out. Yeah. So that was, that was a very memorable event to say the least. It all, I think it started like the 4th or 8th of April that year and then we evacuated april 29th so where we were situated was about 10 miles straight south of the fire that started as a prescribed burn um it got out of hand that night or well i think it's by four o'clock that afternoon they had to declare it a wildfire because it had got so out of hand so it didn't even make it to the nighttime it hit that afternoon so this went on for right at, well, I guess right at three weeks. And, you know, I was out there every day on the ranch. And we had several high spots on the ranch. You could have a great view of where it was at because it was right at the base of the mountains. But I'd say the vast majority of our wind that we were getting was straight west. So we weren't in any real danger. And then one day, you know, I woke up and went out, fed the cows, and then as the sun's coming up, seems like, oh, okay, well, you know, still got the west winds. Um, I had downloaded several weather apps and kept checking them throughout the day, make sure nothing is changing. And I had went down to the shop, which is kind of down in like a little draw in a little valley. And I was down there probably three or four hours working, welding on some stuff, and step out and look up out over the tree. And I was like, man, that, that smoke cloud is really big. And it's, kind of shifted this way so i drove up to the high spot and it's like man that that does not look good it's one of those true gut feelings like this isn't this isn't good called lydia and i said hey what you doing she's oh i'm in town running errands is like well you might want to come home and pack and this was like one o'clock in the afternoon yeah so she comes home and gets to pack in and i go out and start gathering horses up 
So if we had to evacuate, they were all in a manageable area instead of the, I think, 700-acre pasture they were in. Get all those guys gathered up, hauled them down to headquarters and had them in the pens. And it was around 9 o'clock. Like, you're sitting there watching it and watching it. Like, you see, starting to to see the glow of the fire because it's nighttime already. And then, like, you see the the flames just start cresting over. Because by this point, I guess around 1.30 or at 1 o'clock when I called Lydia, like, it started shifting into a straight north wind. Like, well, we're straight south of the, of the main fire. So, it didn't take long to figure that one out. And we evacuated and did not come back for I think it was 28 29 days that we were gone from the ranch but I was up there pretty much every day because I was checking on cattle make sure they had water um it was a pretty wild event yeah honestly wildfires are like my given where I grew up it's probably not surprising to you but they're like that's my biggest fear and like I remember this happened it was about eight months six months after a wildfire like leveled the town where my dad lived and I remember being like oh this is like horrific when Lydia and I were talking about it yeah because there was one point we were moving cattle trying to get them as furthest south in the ranch as we could because the winds they weren't always straight north, but, you know, the further south they went, and it, I think we went, we could go up to, like, three miles south just based on the way the pasture is laid out if we had to get anything moved. And we were watching 100-foot flames. This is probably about a mile and a half away, 100-foot flames coming off of, you know, 60, 70-foot-tall ponderosa pines. And that that'll definitely make you – feel pretty small when you see something that big and menacing just glaring its ugly teeth yeah no kidding <laughs> and we i even saw a couple like well, the fire tornadoes are kicking up too that i saw a picture i've seen pictures of that in the last couple of years and i'm like nope that's not okay <laughs> yeah once once everything kind of died down and blew past i went out riding through some of the northern section of the property and that was mostly mountains, but w- the spots I had rode through, you know, there was a bunch of oak brush and just little pine trees growing everywhere. It was it was a very lush and like pretty area. It literally was just sand, ash, and burnt trees sticking up out of the ground. It just looked like a bunch of black toothpicks that were stuck on the moon. Um, would probably be the best way to describe it. But when you look up at a sixty foot tall pine tree and every single needle to the very top is gone is like there's there's just no way to describe something that large yeah okay and then the last thing I kind of wanted to ask about is you actually are in this really really great position um as someone who works in ag that you get to share this life with your kids so is there any like really unique experiences that you think they get to have with you on the ranch that maybe kids who don't grow up in ag get to don't get to have? I would have to say the the best experience they get is just reality because you know we sometimes we do find animals that have passed away so you get to explain 
the whole process of life and death. Um, in the springtime, when you're out checking cows and find a little baby calf, you, you know, you get to tell them and show them the positive side of, of that. Like something may die, but you know, something else is born as well. Um, when we're doctoring an animal, you get to explain like why you're doing it not just, Oh, the animal's sick and needs medicines. Like, no, like, you know, it's got an infection in its lungs and has a respiratory problem. You get to explain things in a, in a little more depth. So they get to understand how anatomy works. They get to understand the emotional side of it, of, you know, something being born and something dying. They get to, you know, see nature at its finest and they just get to be outside. That'd probably be the best thing they get to experience is just life, how it's meant to be would probably be the best way to describe it. Do you, do you think any of them will go into ag when they're big? Cause they're all little right now. Um, I would say the youngest because there's not an animal we walk by, whether it be like, whether it be our dogs or a cat or a horse is that he doesn't want to stop and pet or hug or ask questions like, why is this one getting hay? Like, what kind of grain is that? It's like an immense amount of affection towards animals. So he would probably be the most likely of all of them, at least at this point. That just reminded me when um, Lydia and I were up at her parents with the kids when they had all the bottled babies. He was so like gentle. And he's, there's almost as big as he is, right? Because he was, I think, two and a half then. And he was like so gentle asking so many questions of Mima, and it was I was like oh this kid is he's got such a big heart oh yeah they um my in-laws my mother-in-law sent me a picture of him and I think I forgot which dog it was but I think it was one of the guard dogs it had it's like it's a hundred pound dog sitting there laying there in the yard and he's using it as a pillow mm-hmm. just kick back just playing with a piece of grass or mm-hmm. something just relaxing with the guard dog so i don't think there's an animal he hasn't loved if it is because he hasn't met it yet but oh (laughs) yeah for sure the very last thing though is because i know you're like getting your leather working business up off the ground do you have social media for it or anything or is it all just via lydia it's all on the wife's page i actually don't have any social media okay perfect then i will um I'll make sure I tag her in the post and say, you can harass this lady for some cool other stuff. <laughs> That'll work. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And I will see you in a few weeks. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.